the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 16. We're so thankful to the Lord to watch God work. We've been passing out tracts. We've been telling people about the Lord. We've been seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And that's always a wonderful thing to watch people pass from death into life. We've been explaining the last couple of weeks that God has given the church one thing to do, and that is to accomplish the Great Commission. And of course, there's different ways to do that, but that is the heartbeat. That's what he has given us to do, is to tell people. Now, why is it so important? The reason why it's so important is because there is a real place called hell. There is a real place called hell. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke in chapter 16, I'd like to show you from the Bible here a little bit why it's so important to tell people about the wonderful Savior that we have. Luke chapter 16, and if you wouldn't mind, let's pick it up verse 19. Luke 16 and verse 19, the Word of God says this, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gates full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man died, or also died, and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented." And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us which would come from thence. Then he said, Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in Luke chapter 16, verse 23. Luke 16, verse 23. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes. In hell, he lifted up his eyes. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to preach to you and show you the true beggar of Luke 16. The true beggar of Luke 16. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, I recognize in a special way I need your touch. I need your unction. I need your spirit. I need you to work. Lord, as we approach this subject, 
I'm just asking that you would give much grace and give much understanding, that you would search the hearts of men and women, boys and girls who hear this message that are at the sound of my voice, and that they would do their own internal check, that they can know that they can know that they know that they have eternal life, and this life is in the Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, perhaps there's someone in here that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They don't know for sure that their sins are forgiven. I'm asking that today would be the day that they turn over, that they accept the free gift that you're offering them, that they would accept it now before it is too late. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The true beggar of Luke 16. Jesus Christ is talking to a crowd of people and he is relaying them not a story but a real historical event of two individuals. One of them by the name of Lazarus, another man who God out of his kindness and glory and mercy did not name. Wouldn't it be a horrible thing to have your ancestor's name written down for everyone to see that he went to an awful place called hell? This is one of the reasons why Jesus Jesus just said a certain man. There's no use of embarrassing. This is a certain man. It was a real specific man. But is doing a comparison between two people who lived at the same time and had interactions with each other. But they went to two different places. The first person we're introduced is a man by the name of Lazarus. Lazarus was a beggar. Notice, if you wouldn't mind, in verse 19, And there was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which laid at his gates full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Here we have a beggar by the name of Lazarus. This is a man who somewhere along the ways had heard about the promises of God and then accepted Jesus as a savior. But one thing we do learn from this passage as a side note is just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're going to live in the palace. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're going to have a bed of roses. We don't know when it all happened in Lazarus' life. It's not recorded. We don't know what caused him to be a beggar. We don't know what, what it caused. We know that he had medical problems. He had sores and He was so weak and so despondent and so almost given up that dogs came and they licked his sores. He stood outside the rich man's uh, gates begging for crumbs, even his trash, something to keep him alive. In this life, he was a beggar. Does that mean that every Christian that we have to give up our stuff and become beggars and homeless? No, that's not what it's teaching. It's not teaching at all. It's just recording a specific man who didn't have it easy in life, who had a hard time. He was saved. He knew Christ. He trusted his promises. But in this life, things just didn't turn out the way that he wanted, the way that he imagined. And he spent his time as a beggar living outside this man's gates, just begging for something. Meanwhile, we have another man, this rich man. Notice him. It said that he 
uh, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen. Purple was very, very expensive. Today, as we look out in the crowd, we have different colors, blues and pinks and purples and all, reds and all this other stuff. But back then, color was very, very expensive. In order to get it, you would have to get in certain plants. To get purple, you would actually have to get a special type of slug and you would have to crush it and draw out all of the... Uh, the purple in it, and you would dye the purple. It was very expensive. You think of that next time you wear purple, that in the ancient days you actually had, uh, it was actually slugs that they had to get the, the, the dye from and put it on the clothes, and then they would sell it. It was very expensive. That purple showed that you had money, that you had status, that you had something. So this is a man who, who's not middle class so much. He is upper class, and he's wearing all the stuff. Does this mean all rich people are destined to hell? No, it's not what it's talking about at all. It's saying here's two individuals that had different lives, different things that happened. Here's a man who's rich, and he fared sumptuously every day. He didn't want anything. He had enough food. He had enough everything. He was comfortable. And then what happened is that it came to pass in verse 22, the beggar died. And when the beggar died, he was carried into the angels, into the Abraham's body. But notice this, the rich man died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. When Lazarus died, because he had trusted in Christ's promises, he got to go to heaven. He got to go with the saints. He got to go to paradise at this time. He got to go and receive the great promises. But the rich man who had everything in life, he lost it all and went to an awful place called hell. You say... Surely this is just a story. No, it's not. It's a real event. And hell is an awful place. Someone may say, well, wait a second. Aren't you educated? You can't tell me that you certainly believe in hell. I don't want to believe in hell. Hell is an awful, awful place. But because I'm a biblicist, because I believe the Bible is true, I have to believe it's all true, including an awful place called hell. Now never, never get to the place where you talk about hell and act like you're glad that people go there. It is a horrible, horrible place. The doctrine of hell should make every single one of us weep and cry because it is indeed an awful, awful place. The Bible describes hell and what it is like. The Bible describes that it is a place of a lake of fire, the book of Revelation 20. In Isaiah 33, it says that it's a devouring fire. It actually is a fire that will consume. Revelation 20, it talks about the lake of fire as a bottomless pit. It's a place that when you go into the actual lake of fire, it's where you feel like you're falling over and over and over and you can't get your balance you don't know which way is up you are falling and have this thing of falling forever the bible talks about <laughs> in um, the book of matthew 13 it says that it's a furnace of fire luke 16 here it says it is a place of torments Literally, they are getting tormented. You know what hell was originally created to do? It was originally to punish Satan and his demons. And if it was made to suffer and to torture eternal beings who were made higher than us, how much worse would it be for a human? 
to go to that awful place and to receive its torments. What is hell like? Hell is a place where they curse God. Revelation 16. Do you know the people still curse God in hell? They still refuse to repent. They're still angry with God. They still blame God. They still have that bitterness. In the book of Revelation 22, it's a place of filthiness. A place of filthiness. The book of Matthew chapter 12, it's a place where they never repent. They never get right. The book of Revelation 14, it is a place of no rest. There is no sleeping in hell. There is no comas in hell. There are no coffee breaks in hell. It is continual torment with no stopping. Hell is an awful place. The Bible talks about that it is a place of everlasting punishment, Matthew 25. It is a place of blackness, of darkness forever, Jude 13. It's literally a place that is so dark. Not only do you feel like you're falling all over, not only do you have the torments and the, and the burning, but they say that the hottest fire there is is a black flame that doesn't cast out much light. And literally it is a place that you could put your hand in front of you. It's a supernatural darkness. Your hand in front of you and you couldn't even see it. Could you imagine being locked in a dark room with no lights whatsoever? Imagine the panic that would whelm up just over a couple minutes. Then imagine that forever and ever and ever. The Bible says in Revelation 16, it is a place where they gnaw their tongues. They're in so much torment that they actually bite their tongues because of the torments. Isaiah 33, it says, it's a breath with a living flame. Again, those flames. Matthew 25, it says, it's a place prepared for the devil and his demons, those fallen angels. Revelation 19, it's a place where people are cast in alive. You will be cast in with this same old body that's able to feel pain, that's able to feel torture, but it will not be consumed. There will be no stopping, no relief. There's... No little while, it is a place where you will be in a body that will not consume, that will not die, but it is continually feeling pain. It is a place where the Bible says, Revelation 14, the smoke of the torments ascend up forever and ever. In Luke 16, it's a place where you don't want your loved ones to go. Some people talk about hell and say, yeah, I don't mind going to hell Because that's where my friends are and we're going to have a big party. No, you will not have a big party. No, it will not be an enjoyable place. No, once you get there, you will not want anyone you ever cared about ever to go there. It is an awful, awful place. It is a place of murderers, liars, the fearful and abominable. Revelation 21. When it talked about that they will never repent... It's a place where the drunkard will want one more drink and never be able to have it. Where the whoremonger will want one more pleasure and never be able to have it. It's those places where your lust will be insinuated but never be satisfied. It is a truly awful, awful, awful place. It is a real place. It is a horrible place. It's a place that, to be honest, we don't want to think about and we don't want to talk about. But because we have to preach the whole counsel of God, we have to say it's true. 
it's true. And in this story here, we have two people, a man by the name of Lazarus, who was a beggar in life, but he received the promises of God. He was not tormented. He had the relief. He enjoyed the eternal rewards. And then you had a man who was rich in life, but was in torments. And he became a beggar. You say, how does someone arrive in hell? How does someone get in hell in the first place? Well, the reason why there's a hell is because there has to be a separation from God from those that oppose him. You see, heaven is a perfect place. Just like the Garden of Eden was a perfect place. How many sins did it take to get rid of Adam and Eve? Just one. Why did he have to remove them? Why was it so important that they were removed from the Garden of Eden after their sin? Because it would disrupt, it would corrupt the Garden of Eden. It would make it where it's no longer perfect. If God would allow someone to go into heaven and be not perfect, it would mess the entire place up. It would ruin heaven. And God must protect heaven. So because of that, anything that is a sinner that has sin in it must be cast aside. You say, what's a sin then? Well, the sin is anything we've done against God. In the Ten Commandments, we see, Thou shall not bear false witness, or we would say, don't tell lies. Have you ever told a lie before? Then you have sinned. And because you have sinned, you are a sinner. The Bible says that to honor thy mother and thy father, basically obey your folks. Have you ever disobeyed your folks? then according to the Bible, we have sinned. We have broken God's law. We are sinners. You say, that's all that takes. I've never killed anybody. I've never robbed any banks. I understand. But the Bible says we must be perfect. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In order to get to heaven, we've got to be perfect, but we've sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible goes on in Romans 6, 23, where he says, For the wages of sin is death. That because we've sinned against God, because we've broken his law, that we owe God a wage or a payment of death. That word death literally carries the idea of separation. This is why we have to be separated from God. Because we're not perfect. We can't go into a perfect place. We have to be separated from him. And when we die, there's only two places to go. A wonderful place called heaven. Or an awful place called hell. You say, what did this rich man do to have him go into hell? Was he a murderer? The Bible didn't say he was a murderer. Was he a cheat? The Bible doesn't say. What awful thing did he do? You know, the only thing that this man did is that he did not trust Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. He may have been a really good person. He may have given food out to Lazarus every time he'd seen him. He may have tried to help the poor. That could have been why Lazarus stayed at his gates because he knew he might be able to get some food from them from time to time. It wasn't that he was a bad guy. It was that he was a sinner and he was not perfect. And he never came to the place where he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal savior. He never trusted in the promises that God had given to him and trusted him for himself. And because of this, he became the real beggar. What does the idea of beggar mean? It means to to beg, to plead, to ask, to, to entreat, to please do something for me. I want to show you this man, this rich man who became a beggar. 
And I want to show you some things that he prayed for that were wrong. The first thing I'd like to show you, the true beggar of Luke 16, is that he prayed to the wrong person. He prayed to the wrong person. Notice with me Luke 16 verse 24. The rich man here, verse 23. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Notice again in verse 27. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father. He's talking about this Father Abraham. That thou wouldest send him to my father's house. What made him the beggar of Luke 16? Well, first of all, why did he end up here? He prayed to the wrong person. He prayed to the wrong person. To the Jewish people, they always looked to their lineage, their heritage for them to be able to go into heaven, to be able to part of God's chosen people. That's what they bragged about is that I'm one of God's chosen people. I'm one of the sons of Abraham. And because I'm the sons of Abraham, God has made promises that go to me and I'm going to be all right. I'll go into heaven Because I'm one of God's chosen people. Let me tell you, your heritage doesn't determine whether you go to heaven or not. Your parents can be Christians doesn't mean you're you're a Christian. Just because you call yourself a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Some people say, well, I got enough faith. It's not a matter of faith. I know lots of people who have lots of faith in things. I know evolution or uh, environmentalists who have lots of faith that Mother Earth is going to take care of them. I have lots of people who believe that Buddha, if they put their faith in the teachings of Buddha, that they'll reach a place of peace and harmony. There's many people, millions of people in our world that trust in the prophet Muhammad. And they have lots and lots of faith. They have so much faith. But it is not the matter of how much faith you have as much as the object of the faith you are trusting in. He prayed to the wrong person. Abraham could not save this man. The Pope cannot save you. The saints cannot save you. Mary cannot save you. The object of our faith is Jesus Christ. Jesus says in, in John 14, 16, I am the, or 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. You know, the only way that we get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And that what made this man the beggar? What, what caused him to go to this awful place? He called for the wrong person. He prayed to the wrong person. You can't trust in your religion to bring you to heaven. You must trust Christ. You can't trust in your good works. You must trust Christ. You can't trust in the Pope. You can't trust in the saints. You can't trust in Mary. You must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must pray to the right person in order to go to heaven. You have to pray to the right person. That's Jesus. What made this beggar, this rich man, the beggar here? Well, he, first of all, he begged, he, pr- he prayed to the wrong person. A second thing we see here is that he prayed in the wrong place. He prayed in the wrong place. Notice verse 23. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Hell is a real place. And once you get there, you cannot get 
out of it. Notice as you see this rich man, he's in hell and he lift up his eyes. He knew one thing immediately, he was in torments. Once you get to hell, as soon as you die, if you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, the moment that you die, you lift up your eyes and you're immediately in torments. There's no line. There's no waiting area. There's no purgatory. As soon as you die, the moment that you uh, die, immediately you're in this, you're in eternity somewhere forever. This man, he died without trusting the promises of God, without trusting in Christ. And he was in a real awful place. And he knew the first thing he knew, that he was in torments. A second thing he knew is that he was not getting out. No time did he ever ask Abraham or Lazarus or anybody there. He never asked if he could get out. He knew immediately that he was not getting out. Once you go to hell, you are being sentenced. You are condemned already according to the gospel record of John chapter 3. That if you without Christ, if you never trusted Jesus Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sins, the book of Ephesians. You are already condemned. You are already sentenced to death. You are already guilty of breaking God's law. And immediately once you die, you enter into punishment. It's an awful place. It's a place where you're not going to get out. By the way, this rich man who was real, you don't like to think about this. Neither do I. This man has been in hell for 2,000 years. He has been in torments. He has been in the flames. He's been where the worm dieth not. He's been in this place for 2,000 years. And he is never getting What made him the beggar? He prayed in the wrong place. Once you get to hell, it is too late. It is too late. Some people want to try to play with God. And they'll say, I'll just wait till I get to the other side. And then I'll let God sort it out. No, this is the time. This is the time. What made this man the true beggar here? He prayed to the wrong person. He trusted the wrong thing to get him into heaven. He trusted in the wrong thing. He trusted in his Jewish religion. Religion cannot save. What made him the true beggar? He prayed in the wrong place. You cannot get out once you enter into hell. What made him the true beggar? He prayed at the wrong time. He prayed at the wrong time. Notice with verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried uh, into the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. The third thing we see here is that he prayed at the wrong time. He prayed at the wrong time. When you die, it's too late to ask God for forgiveness. You know, it seems to indicate in Scripture here that there was a time that the beggar died. And this guy could have thought about eternal things. And then he died. There may have been a little space. Someone could have told him before. He had the scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures even talked about salvation. We'll see that a little bit later. He had the opportunity. He had religion. He had this other stuff. But he waited and he did not pray at the right time. When I used to preach at the prisons, I used to try to tell them that you hire your lawyer, your advocate, before you go to trial. And those prisoners would nod their head. They would understand that principle. You hire your lawyer before you go to trial. 
You know, as soon as you die, immediately you enter into your reward. Immediately, once you die, you automatically are somewhere forever. Now is the time to hire the services of your advocate. Now is the time to accept Jesus as your Savior to give you forgiveness of sins. You cannot do it later. In fact, tomorrow is guaranteed for no one. You may think that you're young and strapping. You may think that you have many years left. But to be honest, you could get back in your vehicle right after service. And you could be in a car accident and just like that be taken in eternity. This is something you don't want to mess with. This isn't something you don't want to wait on. Let me tell you, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. There may be someone in here that says, you know, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting till the last moment. Don't wait. Now is the accepted time. The Bible talks about in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says it's a gift. Imagine if you wouldn't mind that you had a Christmas present. Everyone likes Christmas presents. And you had a Christmas present that you know that someone sacrificed. That you know what's in there. Someone sacrificed. They worked hard. They loved you so much that they put the exact present that you wanted. And they spent the time. They spent the money. It's, in the tr- it's under the tree. It's, it's ready to give. And when it time, comes time to open it up, you look at it and say, you know, I don't feel like I'm quite worthy to open that up. I don't feel, you know what, let me go mow your lawn for a couple uh, uh, seasons and then I'll open up and then I'll feel worthy enough to open up this present. What if you told him, you know, I, I just feel like I need to pay you back for this and, and, and just wait until I get enough money and I'll pay you for it and then I'll open it up. What if you say, you know, I haven't been really nice to you, so let me just smile at you for a little while and, and before I open it up. No, when you get that present and it's time to open, you know what they want you to do? They want you to open it up. They want you to receive it now. They want you to have the contents. It, it costs them something. They gave you something. And they want you to enjoy it. They want you to have it now. What if you told them no? Wouldn't that hurt your feelings if someone said, no, I don't want to open up your present now? It doesn't matter what the excuse, you gave it to them. You don't want their money. You don't want them to do things for you. You just want them to open it up. Same thing as this gift of eternal life. God has given it to you now. He doesn't want you to wait till later to open the present. He wants you to receive the gift now. He wants you to take it now. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. If you've never accepted the gift of life, let me tell you what God wants from you. He wants you to take the gift now. It's offered to you. Take it now. It is an insult for you to say, no, I'll do it later. No, I want to think about it. Just take the gift. What made this man the beggar? He, he prayed at the wrong time. He didn't accept the gift when it was offered to him. He waited until it was too late. What made this man the true beggar, this rich man, the beggar of Luke 16? He prayed to the wrong person. He prayed in the wrong place. He prayed at the wrong time. There's something else I want to show you. He prayed for the wrong messenger. He prayed for the wrong messenger. Notice verse 27. Luke 16, 27, it says, Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father that thou would ascendest him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one 
went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. The one rose from the dead. He prayed for the wrong messenger. This man, he is immediately concerned for his brothers. He did not want his five brothers to come there. They weren't going to have a party. They weren't going to meet up. He did not want them there at all. It was a horrible place, a place of torments. And immediately after he realized he wasn't getting out, he wanted someone to go to his brothers. So he said, hey, send Lazarus. There's Lazarus right there. Send him back. If he goes back, my brothers will see him and they'll, they'll, they'll go, woohoo, where'd you come from? I want to know more about it. And Abraham said, no, it doesn't work like that. You know, if a ghost came and appeared in the middle of this building, none of us would be coming with notes and say, hey, tell me about your day. We would all be gone. We'd be somewhere else. We'd be like cartoons and have holes in the doors and the walls. We would all be gone. No one's going to stay and listen if someone rose from the dead. I meant we have a culture today where zombies came in. Let's say that Lazarus came in from his grave clothes and came walking here. Our immediate thought would not be going, hey, where'd you come from? That would not be our thought. That would not be what we're thinking about. He prayed for the wrong messenger. Lazarus coming from the grave either as a ghost or a zombie or whatever, would not be the answer. His brothers would not listen to it. They would be curious and it would leave a mark on them for the rest of their life, but it would not be going, what a great God we have. That's not what they would be thinking about. What was the answer? What is the answer for the five brethren? What did they need to listen to? Notice, if you wouldn't mind, it said in verse 30, uh, verse 29 rather, Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them, those brothers, hear them the message, the Bible. That's exactly, you know what Moses and the prophet, you know what he was referring to? They have the Bible. You know what the message that people need? The words of life. They need to hear that Jesus is real. They need to hear, as horrible as it is, hell is a real place. They also need to hear that they don't have to go there because Jesus died for them and he paid the price. How did those five brothers, how were they going to avoid hell? Is if someone took the scriptures and showed them from the Bible that their sins can be forgiven. How is someone going to get saved today if we go and be that messenger? None of us are going to come back from eternity By the way, if you went to heaven, you wouldn't ever want to come back. If you experience the wonders of heaven, there's nothing anyone could ever offer you to come back from the glories of heaven. You wouldn't want to come back. And if you're in hell, you cannot come back. So someone coming from the other side is not the answer. This Bible is enough to save anyone because it's Jesus that does the saving. This is the message they need to hear. And it is us that are the messengers. We have to go out to those five brethren. We have to tell them the wonderful story. We are the correct messengers. How many people are in hell right now praying that you would go out and tell their family members? How many of them are just wishing that someone would tell them the wonderful words of life. Hell is a real place. 
It's a horrible place to think about. And it is so horrible that most of the time you and I don't even think about it. But do you know that real people go there? And they don't have to. And the answer they need is found in this book here. And they need the right messenger. And it's not going to be someone who is dead who rises is going to be someone like us who is flesh and blood who have the ability to go out and go tell them. We have to have the right messenger. This man, he was begging, but he was begging for the wrong things. He begged to the wrong person. He begged in the wrong place. He begged at the wrong time. Then he begged for the wrong messenger. They need to hear the wonderful words of life. This is what they need to hear. And we need to be the messengers that go out. You know, everyone you pass down the street is either going to heaven or is going to hell. Every busboy that you see, the grocery store attendant, the restaurant owner, the waitress, the waiter, everyone you meet is going eternity somewhere. Maybe we are the messengers that need to go out and tell them. Maybe they're trusting in the wrong person. Maybe they're waiting at, for the wrong time. But we are the right messengers that need to tell them. Hell is a, is a real place. Let me take a quick pause here. Do you know that if we truly believed hell was real, there would be nothing that would stop us from telling people about the Lord? If we really believed that people were going there, real people were going there, if we really believe that our family members who are not saved were going there, we wouldn't be so nonchalant about telling them about the Lord. We wouldn't be so, eh, they'll hear eventually. If I had a family member that wasn't going to heaven, that had never trusted Christ, I think I'd just weep and cry and pray for their salvation. I don't know what I would do if my wife wasn't going to heaven, if I didn't know for sure. I remember my own stepfather. He raised me and, and I grew up with him. I remember for years praying and begging and begging. He came from a Lutheran background and every time I would ask him about eternal life, ask him if he was sure he was going to heaven, I remember him saying, this is personal. It, it, it's none of your business. Kind of just putting me off. It was my business because I loved him so much. I didn't want him to go to that awful place. And I'm thankful that he has it settled down today. I'm thankful that he knows for sure from the Bible that he's going to heaven. And it's not too personable, but it's something we can share today. When's the last time you thought about the person that passed you down the road where they're going to eternity? Person, as you're looking out the window and you're watching people go back and forth, Think about where are they going? Maybe there's someone in this church now. Let me tell you the greatest thing that could happen to you today. If, if you don't know for sure that Jesus is your Savior. Let me tell you the once wonderful thing that could happen today. Is for you to get it nailed down. Don't take chances. You say well I just don't know. I, I hope so. I've been in church. I remember saying a prayer. A prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. 
If you don't have it nailed down, if you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, the greatest thing that you could do today is to get it nailed down. In just a moment, we're going to have what is called an invitation. And we invite you to come. And we would love to show you the right message about how you can know that your sins are forgiven. We want to have it nailed down because we don't want to wait till it's too late with you. As for you, dear saint, are you going to be the right messenger for someone today? Who is it that you can tell the wonderful words of life? Someone who doesn't know that they could avoid all of hell if they would just be told how much Jesus loves them.